2 Samuel 12. Then the Lord sent Nathan, that's the prophet of Israel, to David the king. And he came to him and he said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little hue lamb, which he had which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. So we thank you, Father, for we thank you, Father, for the presence of the Holy Spirit. And this awesome tribute to your son, be, now behold the Lamb. Illuminate our minds, because your truth will be able to be heard, anointed to our ears and our listening. And so we thank you for revealing your son in a greater and new dimension to us. We praise you that you're honored in this service through your word and by your spirit. So we give you all the glory and all the thanks in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Notice the lamb grew up with the owner's children. The lamb grew up in that household with the owner's children. So it goes on to say, it ate of his own food, that's the owner's food, then drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. He said to Nathan, As the Lord lives... The man who has done this shall surely die, and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. This is an amazing story. So I want to preach to you something that I trust you'll never forget. This applies and touches the heart of every person listening. The David we're dealing with here in this story is not the David we first heard about in Scripture. This is not the David whose heart was after God. This is not the David, the shepherd boy, who learned to be a worshiper, become closely connected in fellowship with God. Hardly anybody knew of David when he was a shepherd boy. Nobody heard of him. But he was out on the fields of Bethlehem, writing hymns, making melody in his heart, expressing himself to the Lord, and learning about the presence of God. But this in this story is not the same David who brought home the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, who danced before the Lord with all of his might. This is not the same David who spared the life of King Saul. When David might have killed the man who had a bounty on him, when King Saul was in a cave sleeping, David could have killed him his predecessor. It would have put an end to a multi-year pursuit of David and allowed David a reprieve. But David chose to spare King Saul's life. And David said, I will not touch God's anointed. There was only one descendant left of the household of Saul. His name was Mephibosheth. And David said, I will honor the lone survivor of Saul's family. And David extended grace and forgiveness. 
That was the David we've all come to love and know. David who worshiped, praised, went to war on behalf of God's people. Please God. We now find David years later in his life. He's grown powerful. He rules the nation of Israel. He has everything and anything he desires. But now David has stolen another man's wife by the name of Bathsheba. And not only did he commit adultery, but out of his desire and his lust, he had her husband killed in order to cover up Bathsheba's pregnancy and then to make her his own wife. David, who had a passion for God, now lies and covers up his sin and believes he's gotten by with his sins. Don't ever make that mistake. And then the scripture says, David sent and brought Bathsheba to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And God spoke to the prophet Nathan. And God said, go to King David. I'm about to deal with the hidden sin in his life. So Nathan heads toward the palace of King David with a word in his heart. He will confront David with his adultery, the murder of Bathsheba's husband, and her pregnancy. And Nathan thinks, how am I going to get to the heart of David? I need a story. I need to break through to this man. I need wisdom. Perhaps somewhere in David is still a flicker of the once tender heart that David possessed. And Nathan wondered if somewhere in David there was the possibility of a turnaround, a reprieve from this if there was still a tender spot in David that might be reached and touched. So Nathan pondered the questions. If David could murder and that not touch him, if David could commit adultery and that not touch him, if David could lie and deceive after all God had done for him, was his heart and conscience seared? And if none of that behavior moves David, how will I be able to reach him with a word from the Lord? So Nathan thinks of some avenue he can pursue, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he puts together a story. He thought, I will tell David's story about a man and his lamb. Perhaps somehow I can take David back to where he first started as a shepherd boy. All he had then in his heart was a passion to take care of his father's herds, the lamb. So Nathan arrives at the palace of King David, and David had great respect for this man of God, and he invites Nathan in. David, king of Israel, invites Nathan into the palace. And David asked, what are you doing here today? And Nathan answered, I was passing through, and I wanted to tell you a story, King David. And David said, tell me. And Nathan began to speak of two men who lived in close proximity to each other, Nathan shares how one man was very wealthy, the other man was quite poor. And although they spoke the same language, yet there was a big difference between the two of them. Nathan said the rich man had exceedingly large herds and flocks, and he had more than enough in his life. He lived in luxury, he lived in wealth, he had shepherds on his payroll, thousands of sheep and camels and oxen. He had a recognizable name throughout the community, he had prestige and favor, and influence, and wealth, and fame. And David didn't know that Nathan was speaking about him. So David leans in. And David had begun with nothing. He was just a poor shepherd boy. 
In 2 Samuel, there's an interesting passage, and it sums up how successful and how far David had come from a humble shepherd. Now David was the king of Israel. And it says, and David made himself a name. Books are now being written about David. He's got a big Facebook following. His books are downloadable on Kindle. He tweets more than Donald Trump. I mean, everybody knows David. And the story of how David felled Goliath is told near and far. David has outperformed his peers. There's no leader in the world his equal. He's a standout in his culture. No warrior his equal. No worshiper his equal. People immortalize David in song. Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain his ten thousands. Parents have taken the name David And it's become the most popular name in all of Israel. They're naming their sons after David. David had obtained himself a name. In the same vicinity near the wealthy man, another man lived. Nathan described him as well. He was called the poor man. He lived with insufficiency every day. He had a hand-to-mouth existence He knew nothing but struggle and subsistence and poverty. His children grew up in a home with very little. And they knew what it was to do without. There were just few resources. They got by with what they had. And the poor man was relatively unknown. His name is not even mentioned. He had no social circles. He's got no honor in his life. Relatively unimportant. Although they lived in the same city and breathed the same air, talked the same language... They were worlds apart. But one day, the two men crossed paths. The rich man had a guest coming from out of town, wanted to cook him a special dinner. And rather than turning to the thousands of sheep that he had and his servants to assist him, instead of looking to his own resources for the special dinner he was preparing, he goes to the house of the poor man, and he took the only lamb the man possessed. And he had the lamb killed dressed and cooked, and he fed that lamb to the visiting guest. There's no thought given to what he's doing. He's thinking only of himself. He never thought, I have thousands of sheep. I've chosen, I can choose one of them to feed this man this special dinner. I've got all the resources necessary to make him a dinner he'll never forget. No, he didn't think that way. And I hear the word lamb. Whenever you study scripture, you have to automatically connect lamb to Jesus. When I hear the word lamb, it immediately takes me to the scripture. Back in Exodus, when God told his people, every man shall take for himself a lamb. Say, every man needs a lamb. Yeah. Then God said, a lamb for a household. For Passover, there had to be a lamb for each house. Not just a lamb for each man, there had to be a lamb for each house. And two things were required in the process of how God was showing them this picture of his son yet to come. Under the old covenant, when a colt was born, its firstborn, you broke the neck of that colt, or you took a lamb and sacrificed the lamb in its place instead. When your firstborn son arrived, the word said you had to offer a lamb on his behalf. And that's why Jesus rode a colt into Jerusalem. 
as we approach Holy Week in just a few days, you're going to remember, I hope, and read the story of Holy Week as Jesus rides into the city of Jerusalem on a colt. He was the Lamb of God riding on a colt. So we wouldn't be broken by our sins and devastated and destroyed by our sins. Jesus goes ahead and he pays the price as the Lamb of God. And you see the Lamb throughout Scripture because God is painting a picture for the human race to see what it's going to take to obliterate sin, to wash it away. Isaiah said that Jesus would be led as a lamb to slaughter, even as they are in his day and in our day. Lambs are led to slaughter. John the Baptist said, looking at Jesus coming over the ridge to the river Jordan, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So now you've got a picture in the Old Testament, and now you've got its fulfillment in the new as Jesus appears on the scene. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is the Lamb. The word revelation means to uncover. The book of Revelation is the uncovering, not of the Antichrist. The theme of the book of the Revelation is not 666. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. And every phrase I give you all comes out of, all come out of the book of the Revelation. Jesus is the Lamb slain. Jesus is the lamb to be worshipped. Jesus is the worthy lamb. Jesus is the lamb on the throne. Jesus is the lamb who opens the seals. There is the wrath of the lamb. There is a multitude standing before the lamb worshipping. There is the salvation of the lamb. There is the lamb bleeding. There is the overcoming lamb. The horns of the lamb. Those who follow the lamb. The song of the lamb the war of the Lamb, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the 12 apostles of the Lamb, the Lamb is the light of the temple of God, all in the book of the Revelation. And when the book of Revelation is uncovered, it's all about the Lamb, Jesus. And here's the summation of the revelation of the Lamb. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. Before God made man, he already provided a lamb slain to cover our sins. He was called the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. You know, you can get by without birds in the air and maybe without fish in the sea, get by without the beasts of the field, but every man needs a lamb, and every household needs a lamb, because without the lamb, there is no life. Say, worthy is the lamb. And this is more than a story that Nathan the prophet is telling the king of Israel. He's speaking about the lamb, the prophetic overtones in this that carry beyond the immediate moment with David, carry us right into our day. The rich man had exceeding flocks. The poor man had little in contrast except one little lamb. He had no prestige and no wealth. He had no property, no flocks. He had nothing except one tangible asset. He had a lamb. I cannot give my family everything I wish I could give them, but I have given them a lamb. 
if they can have a relationship with the lamb, if the lamb can be in our house, the lamb can be hugged and loved. And they all became bonded with the lamb. Greater than any inheritance, greater than any educational degree, and I'm all for education, I'm all for pursuing all that you can learn and all that you can achieve. I believe in all of that. But there's nothing greater as men we can give our families than a passion and a love for the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. If you're doing that, you are a success. The poor man probably had moments when he felt inadequate and a failure compared to others. The truth is, if all I have to show for in my life is a lamb, and my family loves the lamb, and his family loved that lamb so much because it was more than a pet. You just read the story. The, they moved the lamb into their house. The lamb was a part of their family. It says in 2 Samuel 12, it ate from the man's own plate. This lamb ate with the family. Now, I love my dogs, but they don't have a chair at my table. You know what I'm saying? But everybody had a chair here, dad and mom and daughter, son, and the lamb. They all ate at the same table. And the word says this, it ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. Dad and mom had their cups. Son and daughter each had their cup. A lamb's cup? No. Nah. Really? Dad took a sip. The lamb took a sip. What's this all about? Actually, that little lamb was drinking from the cup of the owner of the house. Same table, same cup, communion. This is my cup. This is my blood shed for the remission of your sins. Communion means common union. This family had a love for this lamb. He was not isolated away from the family. This was not a pet they brought out to play with on Sunday. Then the rest of the week they went back to their lives as usual. No, the lamb was integrated into their meals, into their, into their lifestyle, into everything they did. The lamb was present for everything that concerned this family. And this is what Christianity is. Christianity is not coming to church on a Sunday and petting the Lamb of God and saying, I love you, but I'll see you later. I have to get back to life by myself. No, Christianity is, and he walks with me and talks with me. I love him. My spouse loves him, and my children love him. And every decision we make, the Lamb is a part of our decision-making process. If you want life in your house, you get the lamb in your house. If you want a marriage that lasts, you get the lamb in your house. If you want children who will honor God, be sure the lamb is in your house. And dad and mom, leave your family more than an inheritance of material things. I want my family bonded to the lamb. And the word says, he fed the lamb. And it was growing up. And the presence of the lamb was pretty prominent as a member of that family. Maybe you can't give your family everything you wish you could, and perhaps you can, and that's all good and wonderful, but if you can give your family love for the lamb, 
and to create an atmosphere where they fall in love with the land. Whatever I do for my family is so overshadowed by the question, have I transferred to them by my faith, love for the lamb, passion for the lamb? My dad was in the food industry and before he began his own business and uh, things were tough at times because of the struggles of, of working for a company that wouldn't bring him back after he had an illness and that day they didn't do that if they didn't want to and trying to figure out where to go from here. So in the food industry he was in, one night he brought home a baby ewe lamb. We lived in a home with three stories. First story was our family's. Second story was rented out for additional income. Third story was an attic. And there was a basement in which every night in the winter it was my privilege to make sure the furnace was operable and running because it was a coal-fired furnace. So before I went to bed and the household went to bed, I shoveled coal in that furnace every night and stoked it. You banked the coal way up against the back, then it came down a slope to the front and got it red hot. So through the night, you'd have adequate warmth in the house. That's how we heated our house. Second story had its own furnace. That was their problem, not mine. Well, that little lamb cried all night that dad brought home one day. So I went down in the basement to make sure that the furnace was stoked. And I never came back up to go to bed because I just had to spend the night with the little lamb. Because it cried all night. And I kept it warm and comforted it. What I want my family to get out of life has nothing to do with the things this world offers, but to get the lamb into their lives. That little lamb that night became very much a part of who I was. And instantly, overnight, there was a bonding between that gentle little creature. And if I can get them saying in my family, worthy is the lamb, then I am a success. The children of the poor man grew up with this lamb. And in our culture, we've compartmentalized God. Worshiping God is what we do on Sundays. Put on the Christian costume and come to church. Hi, bro. Hallelujah. Good to see you. Then go right back to life as you see fit to live it. That's not Christianity. That's an aberration. Is the lamb in our families? Are our children growing up with our lamb? The lamb was a part of our family. That's what that man was saying. And the atmosphere of the home included the lamb in the story of this man. It was a natural part of their daily lives. Everything they did, every discussion they had, the lamb was a part. Whenever decisions were talked about, the lamb was there. We're going to do this, and this is the week that we get to do this for the Lord, and we're going here. And you talked with your children as he did. Are you, ima- are you hanging out with that person? Is that the kind of person you want to associate with? The lamb was there, leaning against his leg as a part of all that went on in that house. That's how our lives should be lived. Whatever we're doing, whatever we're planning, the lamb is involved. The lamb was a part of their family, and you couldn't separate the lamb from this man or from his family. The one asset in this man's life, I love this lamb. 
the lamb is in my home. My family loves the lamb. They were connected. They were bonded. This was a part of them. Now watch. The poor man had the one thing that King David once had that no longer possessed, a love for the lamb. Now he's got too many other distractions, too many other things that have pulled him away from the most important aspect of his life. He's got a lot of shepherds now to take care of business, a lot of soldiers and officers that will take care of business in the community, in the nation of Israel. He's got no relationship with lambs whatsoever. He's got hired shepherds running around Israel taking care of all of that problem. Whenever he wanted to see a lamb, well, he'd have one brought in, he'd pet it for a while and send it out. And that's what I'm speaking about. There's a difference. The poor man possessed the one thing the rich man did not possess, a bond, a relationship with the lamb. So lean in here and watch this. Eat from my table. Drink from my cup. At nighttime, and even slept in his arm. lamb slept on his chest. David was called a man after God's own heart. He was once a man after the lamb's heart. David was once so close to the lamb, you just couldn't get any closer than David was with God. But fame and fortune and prestige and power distanced David from the man he once was and the lamb. And when the poor man had the lamb on his chest, he could hear his heartbeat. He loved this lamb. But now for David, it's gone in his life. The connection with the lamb is over. A lot of farmers don't allow their animals to be named because they don't want their children to get bonded with them because they know when that cow no longer produces milk and that chicken no more lays eggs, it's going to end up on the stove, right? So they retain a distance from those animals. No bonding. The animal one day will be killed when it no longer produces. And I'm afraid that many today... Treat the precious Lamb of God like a familiar commodity. As long as you meet my expectations and as long as I'm blessed and feel content, as long as you give me everything that I expect, I will call you the Lamb. But if you don't produce, and when I'm making a demand, I'm going to find some other way to satisfy my life. When you're no longer in close fellowship, when you've got too many other lambs distracting you, when you're not connected to the Lamb... It's easy to kill the lamb and separate from the lamb. It's easy to cut the lamb off. It's easy to give or trade the lamb off for something more enticing when you're not bonded and connected to the lamb. Too many seldom bond with the lamb. This is a generation, parents, that needs to bond with the lamb. And parents of students and children, it's not adequate for you to bring your children only out on Wednesday night and then wonder what happened to them when they graduate high school and they wander off the rails. They're not bonded with the Lamb. People of all ages and generations need to be together on Sundays in the house of God with the body of Christ where there is a collective anointing that fills the house touches all generation and bonds the hearts to the Lamb and to one another. But little connection other than the others of your own persuasions 
usually equates in little love for the lamb. It's so easy in this generation to have loss of focus and become distracted. That would be no problem if you would seek first the lamb. All these other things would be added to you. But keep the lamb central to your life. The difference between the poor man and the rich man, the poor man had the one thing the rich man could not have. The poor man had a passion for the lamb. And so we conclude the story. Nathan begins to conclude it and wind it down. And David, as the story winds down, is stirred. Suddenly, the shepherd's heart that was once humble, broken vessel that would do anything that God asked of him. Listen, the one who heard Goliath insulting God's name, it so offended David that he said, listen, I will go out and fight him. I will fight that giant for my God. It got him instantaneous fame throughout all of Israel. And suddenly, the shepherd's heart is awakened in David. And he's heard this story Nathan is telling him. He interrupts Nathan and says, stop the story. You tell me who this sick man is who did this to the poor man and his lamb, and he will pay fourfold. He said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die, and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. The anointing was on the prophet Nathan, and he looks at King David and sticks his finger in his face. And says to David, you are the man. And David's heart is smitten. Because David would remember that the lamb was as a child to the poor man. When David lost four of his own sons. He lost the son of Bathsheba. He lost Ammon. He lost Absalom rebelling and hung from a tree with a spear running through him. He lost Adonijah. David lost four for one. And David, prophet Nathan says to David, you're the man. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house. I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife. Therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, I will raise up adversity against you, for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Looking in the book of Exodus, during the Passover, God told Israel, if you want your family saved... How many here want your family saved? God told Israel, this is the picture of how it works for your family to be saved. How do you, God said, take a lamb, put its blood on the doorpost of your house, and because if there's blood there, then the death angel will pass over your house. 
And if there's no blood on the lamb of the, of the lamb on your door, the destroyer will come into your house and attack. And the word says, and I don't want you to take an indiscriminate lamb, but a specific lamb. And you are to keep it in your house for four days. You shall keep it up into the 14th day, it says in Exodus 12. And for four days, the lamb was to live in the house with the family. The lamb that was going to be offered to cover that family's sins could not just be any random lamb. Oh, go kill one and put its blood on the doorpost. No, God said it won't work like that. I want you to bring the sacrificial lamb for your family into your house. So we would then gather in our home and for four days as we ate dinner, breakfast, went about the business of our jobs and responsibility, the lamb would be in our house. It would have lived in our house. He would eat from our table and drink from our bowls and he would lay at our feet at night as we slept. There'd be cuddling of the lamb by our children. Why? God was saying, when you see the lamb slaughtered, I do not want you disconnected. I want you and your family to have so loved this lamb that when they see its precious blood shed, it will forever impact them. It won't be just some lamb. That's our lamb. That's our family's lamb. That's the lamb that stayed with us. Without its blood, we'd be subject to judgment. Death would come into our home. Our sins could not be atoned for. And this is the evil of our sin. That without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. My sins caused God great so much so that his own son's blood the lamb had to be shed to cover it that was the picture God painted Israel and it's the picture that comes into completion for us God wanted the family to be bonded to that lamb so we never pick up the cup at Calvary Christian Center the bread of communion indiscriminately like it's no big deal because without this lamb my family and my children would have no hope and that's why we have communion in our home that's why the early church had communion in their home yeah we do this once a month collectively and that should be but we do this in our home because the lamb is in our home and we break that bread and we drink that cup in our home because we want to be bonded in our home to the Lamb. In just a few days when we celebrate Holy Week and we celebrate that Jesus shed his blood for my sins, Lamb of God, perfect Lamb of God, and shed his innocent blood that my sins would be covered. Accepted that death 
laid down his life by choice, was buried, and on the third day rose from the dead, and we celebrate Easter Sunday morning, remind your family in your home, it's not just about rabbits and eggs and flowers on Easter. It's about the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundations of the world who now lives as my high priest making intercession for me because without this lamb, I have no hope because of the power of the blood of the lamb, we are covered. Curses are broken. Addictions have no power in this household. There's nothing greater than the blood of the lamb. Nothing greater. So on behalf of your families, call upon the blood of the lamb. This is no ordinary lamb. This lamb is for your family. And there's power in the blood of the lamb. So bond your heart to the lamb of God. Let's stand together for a moment. Thank God for the lamb of God. Amen. Thank him.